Welcome to another episode of The Bunkhouse. I'm your host, John. I'm an active duty Marine, so any opinion expressed on this show is of mine and not of military regulation or policy. So this episode's uh, a little bit different again. It's a little bit longer, too. The guest I have on today is a very seasoned and has been in the cybersecurity uh, industry for quite some time. Hope you guys enjoy this, and on to the show. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of The Bunkhouse. Uh, I have my next guest here, Ron. Uh, he is a seasoned cyber expert, I will say. He's smiling at me right now because he, he, he thinks otherwise, but I would probably say most ones that are professionals and expert in their craft, uh, they also think, think the same thing. So, Ron, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you. If you could go ahead and introduce yourself, uh, tell everybody where you're from and kind of what got you to where you are. Certainly. Well, first of all, John, thank you for having me in the bunkhouse. This is a whole lot of fun. And hi, everyone. I'm Ron Werner. I live here in the middle of the country uh, in Nebraska. How did I get to Nebraska? Well, with the military, of course, and so glad I did. Oh, a little bit. How did I get here? I grew up in New Jersey on the East Coast, where it's a different type of sanity, to put it nicely. <laughs> went to school at Michigan State, uh, courtesy of the Air Force, helped me get a degree in computer science, and entered the military as an intelligence officer. Yeah, I know, oxymoron. <laughs> but it really taught me the value of, well, first of all, how to communicate, how to brief executives, generals, etc. The idea of how to protect information, data, and systems as well. Uh, you tie that in with computer science it led me into the early days of information security, where not as many people were doing it. So when John was saying season, that's a nice way of putting it. I'm old. Um, yeah. Been doing it for a while. So have a lot of t-shirts from that as well. Uh, so I've been in Nebraska well over 20 years. Uh, the Air Force sent me here and I said, you know what, this is a nice place to live and raise a family. I'm still here. Pretty nice. Uh, so if you could explain to everybody kind of what you did as an intelligence officer and, and kind of the time frame that you were in so they can kind of understand where you came from as far as in the military and sure. then translating that into your career or your chapter afterwards. Uh, I was in in the 90s during the Gulf War. I was an imagery and a mapping officer. So I don't even remember the, the job code. It's, they've all changed since I've been in anyway, but it was mapping, charting, and geodesy was the actual field, but I did a lot of imagery and signals intelligence, some application development. So I was stationed actually first in Cheyenne, Wyoming at F.E. Warren, which actually is a fun place to be, not quite so exciting as a, a new butter bar, but um, <laughs> then got moved here to work with, well, SAC at the time, and then during the transition to Strategic Command, part of their Intel wing, providing imagery to combat troops, part of uh, the Desert War. And then I moved to upstate New York, where I worked at Rome Laboratories, and they were the one who developed a lot of the initial systems for the military. Um, and if you ever read the book, The Cuckoo's Egg by Clifford Stoll, it actually talks about Rome Labs as being a part of that investigation. It's kind of fun. I'll, I'll make sure and add that into the, to the, to the show notes. Got out of the military, but had a job offer here to work as a defense contractor. So I did and knew, again, I could afford to live here and liked it here. I had, still had friends from when I was here in the military. So moved back and worked as a Unix and then Linux systems administrator, network administration. Uh, and how I got into security with that is, well, I wanted to protect my stuff. You see, I didn't want anyone getting on my Unix systems, but me and folks I worked with. So we learned how to secure it. And from that, I developed security checklists that I shared with the community. 
Uh, and then from that, just kind of began building a security career when no one else was doing it. That's awesome. Uh, so I would say to, in today's world, at least in the Marine Corps, we also have a, a strategic communications, um, what used to be our uh, our public relations and stuff like that. Um, and we have a geospatial community as well uh, within the Marine Corps. So it's 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 pretty cool to see how it was even a thing back in in the during the Gulf War and how it's really probably progressed and stuff and gotten to where it is today. So what I'm finding fascinating, equating to what's happening right now with the European War, John. Yeah. Where I learned this in the Gulf War, one of the best intel sources was open source. Oh yeah. CNN at the time. <laughs> I mean. Oh, yeah have multiple TVs on watching the war correspondence and getting real information from them, sometimes better from more classified sources. Am I allowed to say that? Well, anyway, (laughs) (laughs) Um, we're seeing that today where we can pull Intel. What I also learned from that though, John, and we we're experiencing that right now, again, with the European war and all of the counterintelligence and the social media social engineering we see is don't ever trust a single source, particularly if it's open source. You know, trust but verify mantra that we've, you and I are very familiar with. Those yes. in the civilian sector are now commonly getting it. Right. Yeah, collecting from multiple sources and kind of putting a rele- relevant information together to mm-hmm. kind of get really what the real facts are, because just like anything, like there's one side, there's the other side, and there's the real truth somewhere in the middle, right? So same thing with collecting open source intelligence. It's the, the exact same thing. Um, and a big thing that we started talking about um, in the Marine Corps, too, is information warfare, which is a real thing, and using it as uh, psyops, like psychological operations for for misinformation. Um, well, I, I definitely know that there are a lot of reports of a lot of that happening as well within Ukraine and within within Russia themselves. So Uh, you're right. I think getting from multiple sources uh, and kind of comparing and contrasting and seeing what really is kind of lining up together to really get the real story behind the things. And being able to read between the lines, because when so many, particularly journalists write, they write with a bias. I don't even think they realize. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. When you begin to read it, becomes very evident that they're trying to get you to have an emotion and which is a typical social engineering technique you know rather than just the facts they want you to think of the facts in a particular way yeah again that discernment i learned from the military oh absolutely um so what were some other things that you kind of took from your time in the military that's that's really helped shape your your chapter after service and kind of where where you've gotten to today with your career Well, I went through Air Force ROTC. One of the things we had to do in class very frequently was practice briefing. Also, as an intelligence officer, as I went through Goodfellow Air Force Base, San San Angelo, Texas, we learned how to give intel-type briefings, which I often now do as a cybersecurity, data protection, compliance professional. How do we explain sometimes very technical or difficult concepts and easy to, easier to understand terms, you know, put it in the words a general can understand. Yep. I don't know if I just said that, but um, <laughs> no, just, that's similar with executives because some have different levels of understanding. So that's, right. I learned how to speak well and communicate well. No, I, I think that's extremely important being able to communicate well and knowing it to the point to where you can relay it to somebody that doesn't have a technical background and they still understand the information that you're, that you're telling them. Um, I kind of had to start getting into that role as well within the last couple of years of my career, even as a chief warrant officer, having to kind of really give briefs or reports up to what you, what in the civilian world you'd call that executive level mm-hmm. uh, staff. Um, so same thing, they're generalists as communications officers but they still they they they're starting to kind of understand the cyber security side of things more along really the the general information security because I think that's two complete that has two separate lanes really information security versus cyber security itself and they're more I would say 
in, in tune to more information security type things. So kind of relaying the cyber side, the technical networking, the, the IT architecture type things to them and how our cyber architecture overlays on that and where we need to put controls into place and why we don't necessarily need this specific control here because of other things that are in the chain that help against said thing. So that's been, I say, my probably my biggest pinch point for me personally over the last couple of years is learning how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I would definitely say that is, that is a big thing, I think, coming from, especially if you've been at those levels and stuff, being right. able to do that, that, that definitely helps out later on down the road for sure. So you reminded me of a pretty well-known presentation. Well, if you watch the history of cybersecurity, information security, a gentleman who was one of the founders of ISC Squared, one of the first CISSPs named William H. Murray, gave a presentation to West Point. Uh, He called the Busman's Holiday, learning security from the Tower of London. So using analogies when we explain technical topics is what reminded me and why I'm referring to this presentation. Um, because if you look at a tower, you, know, you have your defense in depth. Yep. So using common security and military terms, but we can definitely equate them to the cyber world very yes. easily. You know, the choke points, we don't want multiple entrances and exits to an area. Um, as I mentioned Segregation duty, defense in depth, you know, protecting those crown jewels, having protection and then detection, ability to respond. So it's a fascinating presentation. If I, I think I may have a copy uh, I can send to you, John. Well, that'd be awesome. It's funny that you actually say this because uh, in my current role, I, I do a lot more kind of teaching and curriculum building for some of the Marines within my, within my unit. And I was actually just teaching them a cybersecurity, it's essential, it's almost kind of an introduction to cybersecurity type of annex. And one of the things when we get to the defense in depth portion and kind of explaining that to them, I use the physical defensive structure or posture that we do in a kinetic war with like, at least within the Marine Corps, like we have our outpost set up, that's our early detection. And so like, so what does that sound like when we talk about cybersecurity in the chain as far as like our architecture? Well, that sounds like an IDS to me, right? Because the OP, all they're doing is alerting. My IDS, all it does is my my early alerting, right? So, like, I try to relate it to things like that. That because everyone knows, at least if you've been around Marines, every Marine's a rifleman, regardless of what your job is. So we learn those type of defensive tactics from the kinetic side as well, and being able to relate and, like you said, using analogies on what is similar to that somebody else can understand and break it down that way. I found that's definitely one of the better ways to explain it, at least to Marines, is, is, is relaying that too and showing them how the physical or the kinetic side of things completely relates to the cyber side of things. They're just called different items, right? Each item has a different name to it. It's the same thing, just a different name. Right. Well, that's when people ask me, well, what do you do? I'll say cybersecurity. Oh, that's all so new and exciting. <laughs> and I'm like, not really. Um, no, because... Yeah, yeah. It's the same philosophies and concepts. Actually, there's a paper from 1974, 75, Salters and Schroeder's design principles that goes into this. And it's actually very similar to Sun Tzu's art of war, if you will. And I've seen other type of articles that equate it. So it's one thing I learned was don't just become so focused on just the technical or one area. Really, you can learn from multiple areas to bring in to cybersecurity and data protection. Absolutely. I think that's extremely important to for people to understand and understand just because you have a technical background in something doesn't mean you're necessarily going to understand cybersecurity fully, because a lot of times when we're talking about security controls and where to put them and and what actually needs to be put in place, you have to understand the different roles within the organization, too, and then what controls are specific to those types of 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 departments, right? So like HR with personnel information may need to have something different than the um, finance department with when it talks about money and if it's credit card holding and stuff like that, there's different controls that go into place for each one of those different departments. Um, so I think, yeah, like, I think it's important that you kind of know, not because you're never going to be a expert at everything, 
right? Like, but having a general idea of those types of functions within an organization and how your technical background can help at least assist or advise that security architecture over top of that, mm -hmm. right? So it reminded me of, you know, I, I like to use a lot of different acronyms from our military, go figure, <laughs> but one of my is ABC, always be curious, always yes. be learning. So I sometimes work with high school students and college students. Well, I do teach college students, but and they're like, yeah, I can't wait till I graduate. I'll be done doing homework. And I'm like, you're in cybersecurity, right? <laughs> <laughs> Guess what? We're always doing our homework. Homework begins after you graduate. And by the way, the real test is not in the classroom. It's when you're in the real world doing it. in real world. You have military is the same as civilian when you're under fire. Can you perform right. if you just blow off your classes? You know, OK, well, I'm supposed to know how to fire this gun, you know, but I'll never really have to fire it. So, you know, I won't worry about it. Yeah. Try to get away with that, Marine. Um, <laughs> won't work. No. Why? Because when you're under fire, you want to make sure you can do it without thinking and be competent and confident in what you're doing really with any skill. So just continual practice with it is what I recommend. Yeah, that's, that's another thing I, I always tell people, too, like whenever I'm teaching or just interacting with the younger generation, the ones that are going to be my, that are my predecessors, so to speak, I always tell them, I was like, look, when you're doing things, even if it's just a small troubleshoot, always have the same process every time and make sure you do it the same every single time and always continuously refine that process, too, as, as you go, always learn more. Every day, always learn something because hmm. the stuff that's in the books that you get test on, like paper tested on, never work in real life because <laughs> you get tested on right. a perfect scenario when you're doing like yep. lab based stuff. But that's never that when you see it in real life somewhere. And if you do the same process and do the same steps every single time, and then perfect practice makes perfect yes. right not just practice makes perfect but perfect practice makes perfect execution if you do that then whenever the bullets are flying or there's a exploit happening you've talked to like your SOC teams and there's a there's an actual exploit happening right now and you got to put controls in the place that they're recommending if you do those processes the same way it's going to become muscle memory exactly just, just like firing your weapon it's going to become muscle memory. You go through the steps, you go through like your shooting packages and stuff, and you do the things like they say, but you do it like that every single time. And when you need it, it's just going to happen automatically. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the power of, well, documentation. By the way, documentation is a four-letter word I've learned. <laughs> no one likes to do it, but nope. you do it anyway for that exact reason. So you have your process. So you don't always have to have it in your brain. Because when stress is high, our brains don't work as well. We're not breathing as well. So there's a, a good book called The Checklist Manifesto with this, the power of checklist. Now, I know some in cybersecurity go, well, if you just do the checklist, you're not prepared for contingencies. You need that flexibility as well. But it was written by a Harvard Medical School doctor. And he basically said, you have your procedures, because if you put, say, 10 sponges into a surgery patient, you want to make sure you pull 10 out, because that could kill the patient if you don't. So just those checklists, I think, are very powerful in documenting. So for those who are entering cybersecurity, work on those communications and writing skills. Those often make the difference in terms of landing the job, keeping a job, making a difference in the organization where you land. Yeah, because there's going to be a lot of times, and I, I haven't transitioned out of the service yet, but in some of the roles I have been in, the more senior roles, being able to translate into reports what's going on on the ground that non-technical folks can read and not necessarily lose interest or get engulfed in the technical jargon is extremely important because most of the time, they're not the last step in, in the chain of reporting, depending on what the situation is. And they're going to have to be able to digest what you give them and turn around and make that into a different type of report that they're required to send up. So, yeah, 
I think another common challenge we see in the civilian sector is often organizations are one person deep, particularly in cybersecurity and IT. It's the one person who knows everything. And it's in the military, we learn that you have human redundancies as well. You don't just have one person who can do everything because, well, what happens when that person is not available? Yeah, military understands about having contingencies, civilian doesn't always. So it's as I assess companies and help them, that's often actually one of the challenges I find is they have that one person. So I actually had this conversation with someone early in my career who actually told me, John, that, you know, well, I would teach you what I did, but that would hurt my, my ability to keep my job, my job security. And I'm like, Peace bomb, which was ironic because then 10 years later, he, he became one of my students. But anyway, <laughs> um, don't worry about job security. I tell people my job is to work myself out of a job knowing I never will. There's too much work to do in cyber world that, okay, you might not be doing that, that now. You know, you'll do something else. There's always going to be another job to do. Same thing in the military. There's always something to do. Oh, absolutely. That's that's one thing. Also, I tell the like the younger generation too. I was like, look, like don't hoard all the all the knowledge. Don't don't always be want to be the go to guy. That because you're gonna get one, you're gonna get bombarded with the workload. They're not gonna <laughs> they're not gonna spread load the work, right? It's always gonna be that one person that mm-hmm. seems to be the most knowledgeable is going to get just worked all mm-hmm. the time. But at the same time, and especially being in the military, you're going to rather it be change your duty station or go on to a different billet or something or or you exit service now your predecessors don't have any of the knowledge and now they now they're kind of that that section or that unit's now starting over because that bulk of knowledge just left and didn't leave anything behind so i always tell them like look share your information teach the ones around you because again let's say you're in a kinetic situation you go down in the middle of it. Now what? Right. Right. So like always spread your knowledge, always teach the ones around you. Even if it's somebody senior to you, doesn't matter. Like always teach somebody you can learn. And that's when I always humbled myself too. Like, I don't know everything, even as being in the in in military for 15 and a half years and being a chief, chief warrant officer and being considered the, the subject matter expert in my craft. Like there's still a lot of things I don't know just because I haven't been exposed to a lot of things. And I'm humble enough to say that if a Lance Corporal, like that E3 or E4 knew something that I didn't, I'd like, hey, dude, can you just show me that again real quick? I didn't know that, right? Use it as a learning moment for myself, you know? Um, so I always that's tell- That's why I love to teach yeah. um, because I love to learn. And really the best way to learn something well is to teach someone else. So I learned this also as a- young officer is to have others teach me like my enlisted that I worked for. Yes. I put it that way on purpose. Um, You know, show me what they did because not only was I curious and I wanted to learn from them, but I knew that would help them build their own skills. Yeah. I would definitely say teaching something hundred percent helps you hone in on your craft a lot more. Uh, When I was, still enlisted I was an instructor at my entry-level school house so I was teaching brand new marines coming in uh, the basics of being um, systems administrators right so being able to teach those things and that also helped me be able to start translating that technical information into ways that non-technical folks can understand but then they can start translating themselves into the technical piece right um because most of the new Marines coming in didn't have any kind of IT background or anything like that. They were onesies and twosies here and there that did, but the majority of them had zero experience in IT. They just knew how to check their email and get on the internet, right? Like most most of them, that's how it was. So be like starting to teach definitely, I will say, helped me get to where I am today. And really, because it makes you want to learn more Mm because you're teaching. So yeah, I will definitely agree. Teaching it definitely helps you much, a lot. 
And that's the fun thing with our military community, the veterans of cybersecurity, where we are always helping each other, teaching each other, sharing our knowledge through the community. So even for those who may be listening, much as well, I don't have anyone to teach. Well, come in and, and join the Veterans of Cybersecurity. So blatant plug, but we're non for profit. We're just great community veterans and military active duty helping others in the community. Uh, no matter your branch, or even if you're not directly in cyber, we're, we're not going to sit here and check your credentials. So come and join us. You can be part of the community and learn, and then use what you're learning, pass it forward, help others. Um, I would definitely agree with like, it doesn't matter the community that you're a part of, because I think every community out there has something to put in or give to the mm -hmm. cyber cybersecurity community, because we're going to have to know those things as well. I have my buddy down the street, um, he is, he's part of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And I told him, like, I think his investigative capabilities, the knowledge behind that, um, understanding attention to detail when investigating mm -hmm. or looking into something, understanding laws and stuff like that, the way that he would, would really help out the cyber cybersecurity community when it comes to investigation and doing some oh, type of like yeah. research. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, cause he's getting close to his tenure being ending with law enforcement. I was like, why don't you look at doing like something cybersecurity related? Um, and he has that understanding or at least that thought like, well, no, I don't know anything about computers or anything like that. I'm like, I'm mean, telling you, man. Yeah. I'm like, hey, man, like, I'm telling you. You, you know, have he knows more than he thinks. Absolutely. I was like, you definitely have something that contributes to the community for sure. I have a good buddy of mine here in Nebraska. He's the former chief master sergeant for the Nebraska Air Guard. So very well respected, an educator like me. He's a former military cop as well. Uh, and he's always using his military cop skills in cybersecurity, even though that's what he does. And he'll often mention back to that documentation, you know, and he holds up a pen for his students about, you know, documentation. Oh, which reminds me, we had this rule when I was going through ROTC. Um, the rule of the second lieutenant is you always keep a pen on you. <laughs> Uh, writing utensil because if someone asks you, you know, Colonel comes up to you and says, hey, "Take a note." You don't want to. I don't have anything to write with. Right. Um, actually, my congressman here in Nebraska, uh, Congressman Don Bacon, General Don Bacon. Um, I had lunch with him. It's actually a few years ago, but he wrote everything down in a notebook, which just impressed the heck out of me. Oh. So, regardless of politics, I'm like, I'll tell this to the high school students I work with. Yeah, you know, who are junior Air Force ROTC. I'm like, come on, if General Bacon is taking notes, you can too. So yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you brought up actually a point before I want to touch on a little bit about leading up, because that's another critical skill we learn in the military. Because yes. um, again, I was a young lieutenant. I had to lead a group of 2025 enlisted folks, most of who were younger than, or not younger, who were older than me. I was the youngest, but I had to learn how to lead them, work with them. So, and that's, I'm sure you're doing that as a chief warrant officer as well. So I'm curious your tips for leadership when you're not always, you might not have the title or be in the position, but you know what needs to be done. Yeah. I, I think the big thing for me at least was back to the communications aspect of it and being able to relay it to them in ways that they can understand. And then being able to relate that to the operational requirements that it meets, uh, stuff like that, right? Because at least in the Marine Corps, when we were part of the MEF level staff sections, then each one really works for the operations section, the D3. And mm -hmm. so, being able to sit back and talk to the operations officer and the, the G6, ACSG6, and explain things to them that, okay, hey, we need to put these security controls into place because of this that the G3 requires to be protected. Or maybe it's, hey, we can't put these controls into place. We need to get these waived because mm -hmm. if we do, then it doesn't allow operations to be able to access whatever they, that mm. case may be. Being able, I think, relate that. And, and again, I think that really comes to the understanding of mm -hmm. the different departments that 
you that fall around you in the organization and what you are supporting uh, as IT and cybersecurity as both collectively and being able to relay our side of the our side of the story with the understanding of their side of it, right? Right. The, the business side versus what we do in the technical side. I think understanding that is really what helped me to be able to relay that information up and teach that senior leadership. Okay, hey, we don't always need to have a knee jerk reaction and put these things in place. Or hey, they're saying this is what we're seeing on a network. I need you to shut everything down. Whoa, hold on, pump the brakes, sir. Like that's, right. that's that's not what we need to do. And then being able again to relay that, yeah, hundred percent is. And then to be able to relay that in a fashion to where they under it, they see that it affects the business side of what our organization is doing. And on top of that, it would it could also hinder what we as the the maintainers and the in the cybersecurity side of it. It can completely affect how we are able to take care of those things. One thought I had while you were mentioning was, you know, how do we convey the message, particularly with those of higher rank, without them feeling offended? Because if you just say, hey, don't do that, you know, yes. sometimes, because I've worked with higher ranking officers and they've taken the attitude of, well, you know, I'm a lieutenant colonel, you're just a captain, I know better than you, you know, and it's like, uh, no, you haven't been, anyway. So yeah, but I've been there too. I, again, kind of the same scenario where I'm talking to the head guy of, of the section and he, they have this great idea and he, they're like, Hey, I want to do this, this, and this, because, you know, the garrison side is doing this and I want to try to implement it here. And I'm like, well, sir, like we can't really do that because of these, these, these things. And I would actually have technical facts on like why mm-hmm. we couldn't do these things. And they would kind of seem to understand, but the the middle boss between me and that guy, <laughs> like after the fact, we'd be like, hey, you can't tell the boss no. If the boss asks and says he wants to do this, we've got to make it happen. I was like, well, sir, like we, we can't. We, we it's, it's impossible for us to do this because of these factual things, right? So be, try, be understanding that and not getting frustrated and not letting right. my emotions come out, I think, is really what helped me building that. And they started getting confidence in me, too, because I, did, I wasn't a yes man. Mm-hmm. I, but I also, when I, when I did say no, I had facts to back it up, and I never let my emotions take over. Right. No, and that's the emotional intelligence of leadership we need to see. You know, I use a lot of different social engineering techniques because they work for both leadership and you can use them evilly as well right. uh, for that. But building that trust with others, being willing to, to say what they may not want to hear, but they need to hear, yes, uh, yes. builds that respect over time. So and it's just being willing to step forward and, and give it, but respectfully, um, softening how I phrase things rather than, so I often won't tell people just directly no, because that tends to turn them off. It'll be like, well, we could do it that way, but here's going to be the ramifications if we do. Here's another idea. And what I've really learned, John, is if you can make them to think it's their idea. And I forget what famous leadership author said that, you know, about leadership, but, you know, get if you can get them to own own it. So what I've learned in cybersecurity, it's not always having the answers. As we mentioned earlier, we can't have them all knowing the right questions to ask. And sometimes it's asking that leader above us a question instead, you know, well, what would happen if we did this? What will, you know, what, how will this affect those troops and getting them to think? And then all of a sudden they'll have their own aha moment without us having to tell them, no, they just told themselves, no, right. Or how we phrase it. No, absolutely. I think, I think that's, I think that's extremely important because again, like you said, we can't always, always have the answer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think another big thing about that too is, asking because they might not be fully clarifying when they originally say they want to do something or how they want to do something. So asking the questions to have them kind of re-clarify it for you sometimes, but then also whenever you do that, if they're trying to re-clarify it, but can't find a way to clarify, 
that usually means they don't have it fully in their head on what they want right. to do. Um, or if it's something that you just don't have any kind of experience in because you've just never seen the technology that they're mm-hmm. talking about, you know where you can get resources from to research also. Right. So where I found a lot of people, they make mistakes is with their assumptions. So I yes. came up with another little phrase, CYA. No, 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 not that CYA. Uh, check your assumptions. So often we come in with our own biases. We assume something with the situation. And really you want to have those people in your life to question, ask the right questions and to have those checks and balances in place. So what I recommend for cybersecurity professionals, whether you're in the military or out, is CYA. Check your assumptions because that could lead to a gap that you're not aware of uh, that could lead to a potential breach or a bigger problem down the road. Right, there's a lot of times I've seen where we'd be sitting in meetings and if I hadn't asked for clarification, I would have misinterpreted what the actual end state was supposed to be, you know? Um, and if I misinterpreted it, then I would plan to what I, how I interpreted it. And then mm-hmm. all that time and, 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 and manpower would have been is wasted because I didn't plan to what the real end state was going to, what it's supposed to be. So which again, brings up a, Another really good point about being willing to ask if you don't know something. That's actually one of the challenges I often have in a classroom. I even saw this with my kids. My daughter once had a question about her math. I'm like, well, did you ask your teacher? (laughs) No, I didn't want to appear stupid. I'm like, come on, Kat. If you have this question, most likely there's other students in the class who have the same question. And really, again, learning from leadership that I got in the Air Force is when you're asking those questions and are willing to say, you know what, I don't know that, but I really do want to know. It's seen as a strength and not a weakness. I don't think I've ever had anyone go, you know what, you should know this. Be like, well, maybe I do and I forgot. Maybe, you know, it doesn't make a difference, but teach me now. And so, you know, if you don't, if someone uses a term, again, for the listeners on here, if they see something you're not familiar with, ask the question, what, what does that acronym mean? You know, or what is that? You know, this way you're clarifying and then they're very well, maybe others. And then even the person who's stating it may not even realize they're talking tech and are saying things that are over the heads of most everybody. Yeah. Cause I would definitely just, like, especially being in the military, there's a ton of acronyms, like, mm-hmm. but, but they're the same, but mean completely different things. Mm-hmm. So I, I've been in conversations, especially when it's, whether it be joint uh, kind of like planning conferences or, or something like that, the army might have an acronym that's the same as ours, but it means something completely different. So being able to ask, like you said, being able to ask that question and say, Hey, what does that actually mean? Because where I'm from this, that's what this means, you know, and just making sure that everybody's on the same page when, when you're guys, when you're, when everybody's talking about stuff. Exactly. What has been your favorite subject that you have worked with, whether from your time in the military and kind of up until today? What, what has been your favorite subject and why? I really love learning about leadership. And this started in my early career with Air Force ROTC and then as a young officer really learning, because that's often the gap I see even in the civilian sector in cybersecurity having people who know how to properly influence, how to make the right types of risk decisions. Tied on the other side of the coin of leadership, though, is social engineering. And I briefly mentioned this earlier. Like, I don't know, have you ever read, John, uh, the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People? I have not. I have not. So it's a very old book from the 1930s. Really just good advice. If you ever pick it up, just kind of peruse it. You don't need to read it entirely be get the idea like calling people by their name um, just how to make yourself likable really builds in as an influence skill there's others similar to it john maxwell's 21 irrefutable laws of leadership is always actually read quite a few of john c maxwell's books i i really do love his stuff because that's one of the big things that he always promotes as being an influencer yes So that's really where we need help in cybersecurity are those who can influence. Uh, And then learning from the social engineers, 
because you'd put on you you take off the white hat and you put on a black hat you can use the same concepts that john c maxwell writes uh, on the dark side if you want and we see that well with foreign influence with social engineering as they're trying to gain access to our systems and data same types of ideas but we should be using for the positive i'm always very uh, have a lot of fun talking about influence and the art of persuasion and then both sides how do we can defend against the negative parts of it and then use it to our benefit for the positive as leaders yeah no i i think being able to take what you learn in the military as leadership, because I don't know about as far as the Air Force or the other branches, but in the Marine Corps, it's a lot of what people want to call black and white leadership, right? There's rules, regulations. Mm-hmm. We have doctrinal leadership and all that stuff. But kind of what I've done, and, and it took me quite some time to understand this and really be able to put this into practice is taking the doctrine side of it, which I understanding that those are really just only guidelines. That isn't the C that isn't the end all be all right for stuff. It's really guidelines and says, Hey, this is how we've done things. And this is what we've learned from past and stuff like that. And taking a lot of stuff that I read and, and learned from John C. Maxwell's writings and really kind of meshing the two together. Mm-hmm. To really shape my my leadership philosophy and my and and how I really lead, not just the ones subordinate to me, but the ones that are my peers and the ones that are also uh, above me in leadership as well. I think because you shouldn't just be an influencer to the ones that are mm-hmm. subordinate to you, right? It's good to influence them, but you should also influence your peers, the ones that mm-hmm. are around you naturally, because. If you influence them, it's possible that they could turn into influencers as well and be able to spread that. But then also being able to influence the ones that you work for, the ones above you, mm-hmm. and, and being able to really a lot of times that helps you shape a lot of actions that help you and benefit the ones that really were, are, are doing the key punching and really mm-hmm. doing the work. And, and that's kind of what I've learned is being able, and again, I guess it's more, that's kind of using the social engineering side of influencing for the benefit of the greater good, right? Mm -hmm. So being able to influence the decision makers, right? And so it doesn't adversely affect the ones that are actually doing the work. Right. Finding the quiet leaders. I remember John Maxwell wrote this, I forget which book, but Sometimes it's the person who's just quietly in the side of the room, but he's the one who gets everything done. He's the one who everyone really asks. So sometimes it's finding who they are and developing camaraderie with them, you know, building rapport. Uh, when I worked at TD Ameritrade, I started there as a, a security engineer, very technical role. But what I did is I met the directors who had different roles in cybersecurity, including one who, again, former military, former Air Force. So it was very easy. Just I said, hey, Clarence, I just want to meet you. He thought, you know, kind of it was odd, but yeah, I'm like, I like to meet people. I want to be able to learn the organization, but building the rapport because we're both former military, we developed a friendship when he needed to hire a manager. It was when I saw it, yeah, you know, it was very easy for us to connect and for him to move me into that position. So it's finding those quiet leaders who may just be the ones more to the side, but then, you know, developing relationships, building rapport. It really starts with just a simple, hi, yeah, let's chat. Yeah. We can get more done sometimes like in this forum or over coffee or a beer than, you know, in a formal meeting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think. That's, that's one of the things that I've tried to instill in any section that I am in charge of is not is, is being having a relaxed environment and being comfortable, mm-hmm. being able to talk to each other, not worrying necessarily about all the seriousness of being enlisted versus officer. Like, mm-hmm. talk to me like I'm a person because I'm going to talk to you like you're a person, you know, and that's one thing I've, I've, I've definitely taken inside the classroom when I'm teaching is, hey, look. Like I'm, I'm your teacher. You're my students. 
I want this to be as comfortable and as relaxed as possible because that's more conducive to learning than you worrying about if you said sir before asking me a question. You know what I mean? So I, I try to take all those stressors away, even in my just regular work environment when I'm in charge of a section. Same way. Like, don't worry about saying sir. If you have a question, I want to make sure that you get the right question out. You know what I mean? So I agree. In fact, for my students where I teach, I ask them to call me rather than professor because they call me coach. And I made this decision to be called coach early on in my teaching career. Well, first of all, it was when my father was alive and he was a professor. So if someone said Professor Werner, I'd be looking for him. So I wanted to differentiate. I'm like, well, I really don't say I profess anything. My job is to coach people to that next level. So it's developing that mentorship and coaching ability. Again, whether you're coaching up, down, sideways, we all have the capability to do this and really just taking that passion of willingness to learn. And that's really one of my final thoughts for this is I encourage everybody develop your passion. Fascinating to me, that's really a big differentiator, whether you're in the military or civilian side, you know, be interested uh, in what you're doing. Piece of advice I got early in my career, because I got stationed at my first base, Cheyenne, Wyoming. And then Nebraska, boy from New Jersey going to Nebraska. Oh my gosh, what am I doing here? But an officer who mentored me said, Ron, it's, it is what you make of it. It can really suck if you want it to, or it can be awesome. Yeah. So take advantage of all that is around you. Again, we have great communities here to help build each other up, build our passion in protecting others, whether it's physical security, data protection, the cyber or more technical side. Encourage folks, just keep building your skills. Oh, yeah. It's, so it's, it's funny you talking about passion because that's probably one of the biggest things I preach upon whenever I'm talking to any of the, the Marines, whether, again, whether it be the junior, my peers or, or the, the superiors, Having passion, I think, is a lot of times is more important than actually having the technical knowledge, because mm -hmm. at least with the passion, it's something that you enjoy and you're going to want to learn more, mm -hmm. not because you have to, but because you want to. Kind of a quick story. A couple of years ago, I was put into a billet to where I had to establish um, a new network operations center for mm -hmm. our tactical enterprise. And everybody, nobody wanted to give up their smartest marine to send up there because obviously who wants to give their smartest one up because that would depreciate their capabilities and i understand that but i always also told them like look i don't need your smartest marine if they're willing to learn i can i can do more with five marines that have the passion to want to be better than i can do with 10 smart ones that don't care and they become lazy and complacent mm -hmm. right because they know that they're smart and so they don't want to learn any. They don't want to learn anything else because they think they know all the things that they need to know, uh, stuff like that. So I always told people, I was like, I don't need it to be the smartest. Give me somebody who wants to learn. Trust me, they will return to you ten times better than what they came. I can promise you that. Reminds me, I've worked with the FBI, been through the FBI Citizens Academy, and talking to their quartermaster, people who you know, run the firearms and right. teach firearms. They're like. Would you rather have someone who's an expert marksman come in or someone who's brand new? And they're like brand new every single time because if yeah. they come in thinking they're expert, they already have a ton of bad habits that they're never going to want to change. Exactly. So it's just, yeah, no matter. And even if you, you know, that's why I never say I'm really expert in anything because there's always something new to learn, particularly in the cyber yes. world. Yeah, yes. So again, encourage folks, keep learning. And even if you think, you know, pretend you don't yep. come back and this way you can take a new fresh perspective from it and keep building yourself. And not only that, like you're always going to meet somebody that's going to know something that you don't. Exactly. Right? And, and, and it's because of the experiences that each one of you have had. Mm -hmm. Right. So like always come in knowing that and humbling yourself to understand that too. And then just know everybody you meet is going to know something you don't. So mm -hmm. just always learn from them. You know, and then, but also take the chance to teach them something too. Right. Know? Yes. We're 
we can learn from everybody and there's something we can all teach as well. Absolutely. That's, that's one of the big things I, I like to, to, to kind of pound into their heads, so to speak, you know? <laughs> okay. Um, kind of getting close to the end. Is there anything else subject wise? Doesn't have to be IT or cybersecurity. Is there anything else you want to talk about or touch upon? Uh, I'm just going to plug again for joining the community. The way to get the job will a being passionate and again, military or non passionate in what you're doing and then networking. I mean, the humankind um, yes. way to get a job is to find out who else is working there and connect with them. Uh, it's actually how I ended up in Nebraska because my commanding officer recommended that I take the, a job here. How you ended up on my podcast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. So that's really how you, you build relationships that way as Absolutely. well. It makes, it's not just doing it for a job, but you, you can develop your lifelong friends, particularly with the military. I still have folks that I stay in contact with and just dear friends, you know, we may not speak for years, but just, yeah, continue networking. Uh, again, Veterans of Cybersecurity is a wonderful community where we help out each other in terms of building your career. So uh, come on in and join us and don't be shy. Uh, I, I appreciate it, Ron, for being on. I'll make sure and get all the information that Ron was talking about, the books, uh, the groups, and everything like that. I'll have that posted in the closing section and show notes as well. So again, Ron, if there's nothing else, I, I appreciate you coming on. It's been an honor talking to you and, and having you on the show. I, I really well, do. Thank you it. again, John. Thank you for your service. Thank you to the listeners, whether you're active duty. And if you are, thank you. Um, and just go out and be safe. Absolutely. Thank you again, Ron. I want to thank everybody again for listening to another episode. I can't believe this was episode eight. I want to make sure and have all of Ron's information and all the books and the, all the resources that he mentioned throughout the podcast. I want to make sure and have those in the closing section of the show notes. Also, be on the lookout for my first episode of session two. Uh, should be coming out this month, and that's going to be tailored more towards the mental health side of things. And again, as always, be the light in someone's dark.